You're listening to the Chancellor Pink Podcast on Chancellor Pink Radio. I have the um, misfortune of being a Pitt Panthers sports fan. And I say that not because of the play of the team over the years. I will say the football team has been pretty bad for a lot of years, and they've suddenly recently gotten okay. But the basketball team, through much of my adult life, and even childhood years, teenage years at least, was, has been quite good. Has given me a lot of joy. And this year, the Pitt basketball team is back. No, I say it's unfortunate to be a Pitt basketball or Pitt Panthers sports fan, mostly because of the fans and the media. Now, if you've listened to my podcast, uh, podcast at all, you'll know that I'm not a fan of media, sports media, period. Sports media in the country, I don't like. It's a lot of, it's a lot of frustrated jocks, you know, uh, who aren't really high on the intellect uh, scale. And also, sports is full of people that have very, very strong opinions, and they're not really willing to have debates. They pretend like they are, but the reality is they know everything and their answer is the answer. And so it's really difficult to deal with sports media because they're very opinionated, very strong and bullish. And, and they have very slanted views. They're very predictable, slanted views. But pit fans uh, are particularly hard to deal with too because they're, when it comes to pit hoops over the years, the old pit fans used to be my kind of fan, which is very sardonic, very hard to please. Um, they'll believe it when they see it kind of attitude. Because, look, we, we had a, a lot of great basketball teams. And yet uh, they failed a lot in the postseason. They, they had a, a couple of spurts here and there where they would win the Big East tournament, where they would get to the Sweet 16. But even when they had a team that absolutely should have been challenging for the national championship, they couldn't get past the Elite Eight. And then another year, they couldn't even get to the Sweet 16 with a team that absolutely was national championship caliber. So if you're a Pitt basketball fan and you've been around a long time, you're my kind of fan probably. I remember sitting in a bar watching the uh, Pitt Panthers play in an NCAA tournament and then an ACC tournament, let's say in the last 10 years, a couple different years. And I was, I was sitting next to some gentleman at the bar watching the game and they were Pitt fans and they were, they had snuck out of work just like me. And as negative as I am or tend to be as, as jaded as you can't help but being as a Pittsburgh hoops fan in particular, they were worse. They were worse than me. They were very negative. And uh, we ended up winning, I think, both of those games. But, boy, you, if you listen to them, you'd think we were losing the entire time. But I liked that. I liked the fact that the Pit Hoops fan is, is, tough, is a tough cookie, you know. Well, that's not true anymore. And so what I don't like about the Pit fans currently, either in football or with respect to basketball, is there's some sort of unwritten rule where you're not allowed to complain. Every year is a success, apparently. You're not allowed to want uh, Pat Narduzzi to be fired as head coach. You're not allowed to want Jeff Cable to be fired. And, and, and now that he turned it around and was having a good year, you, you all have to be ridiculed. And you've got media like uh, uh, 
why am I, Jerry DePaulo, uh, mocking the fans, calling them fickle, acting as if Capel was the greatest thing ever and he should have never, you know, ever come under siege. Meanwhile, he had four prior seasons to this year and he was terrible and their teams were terrible. How many years do you give someone to suck? Ralph Willard took over the Pitt program back in the uh, 90s once they bumped out, uh, finally bumped out Paul, uh, um, uh, why am I forgetting his name? The screaming, yelling guy, Paul Evans. And they brought in Ralph Willard and he stunk. And they gave him five years of stinking and then they kicked his ass out, you know? And then we got Ben Howland in and he turned us real good again. So coaches do matter, A. You can find a coach that can turn around a program. Pitt can win. They can get players. They do have enough going for them to bring in players to win. They can. They've proven it. So don't give me this crap about it's just Pitt. They're not good. They do that in football all the time. They poo-poo the foot, the football team. I'll buy that. Their football team can't seem to get over the hump. They can't seem to get the players to be really great. And even in the last couple of years when they've been better, they're still not even in, you know, within shouting distance of the playoff, of getting in that playoff. Um, but Pitt Hoops, shove it up your butt. Pitt Hoops can absolutely be good. They have been good. They can get the players to be good. They have proven it time and time again. For whatever reason, the players that play basketball are attracted to the Pitt campus, the urbanness of it, I think, and the location and the feel. Uh, we can draw people here to play, and they like the Pete. The Pete is a wonderful facility to play games in where it is up on the hill. It's a cool location. It has a good reputation. Yeah, we, we can draw people here. So we could get a coach who could get better people and have better teams than Jeff Cable. Okay, it seemed like a great hire. It hasn't been any good. And this year he's turned it around. But don't give me Jerry DiPaolo and all these nudniks. Just because he's turned it around, that means we were all wrong to want to fire him after four years. When Ralph Willard came in here and stunk for five and he got canned and he was let go, and guess what happened? We got Ben Howland and became the top, one of the top five teams of the 2000s. According to the AP, we were voted team number five in the nation because of what Howland and Jamie Dixon did in the 2000s, okay? So you can do that. It could happen again at Pitt. We could bring in an actually a good coach who knows how to coach the game. Recruit, yeah, but also who actually knows how to coach, who could get make Pitt a winner and actually raise this program up again. It could happen. It's not a pipe dream. It's not a be happy with what you have. And again, I will go back to Ralph Willard. Five years they gave him. That felt like a long time at the time. I loved Pitt Hoops then. We had come off of some really good years with Paul Evans and even the last couple of years, with Roy Chipman, we had some talented teams. We had good basketball. We brought in Ralph Willard, and the program went to shit. And Pitt stunk again. And then after five years, they canned his ass, and they brought in Howland, and they were really, really good up until, let's say, 2011. You know, 2012, 2011. And then they were struggling again, and they got rid of Dixon, and they brought in uh, Stallings, and he was terrible, and they got rid of him in only two years. He was so terrible, they only gave him two years. Well, now they bring in Capel, and he stinks. They've given him four. This was his last year. In my opinion, this should have been his last year, and if he didn't turn it around, he should have been canned. So, okay, he's turned it around. I agree that he shouldn't be canned. No, I don't anymore. Because why? Because of how he's handled this team. And here's what I want to make this quick part. I don't like the fact that the fans are all being bullied into saying it's a successful season no matter what happens. No. 20 wins doesn't mean anything. They only have 21. They're 21 and 10. That's not even a very good record. Okay? 20 wins is something you can buy these days. 
Jamie Dixon would run up 20 wins in his sleep by playing cupcakes all the time. Pitt played tons of cupcakes this year. Okay, 20 wins shouldn't be a benchmark for a program like Pitt. That should be a given, at least in the upper teens and getting to 20 whoopee. No, that does not make it a successful season. Had they finished first in the regular season in the ACC, that would have been successful. They didn't. They finished fifth. Because they lost their last two games, they're now fifth. Now, if they win the ACC tournament, that will make it a successful season. How could you say it's not? You know, they win 21 games, they win the ACC tournament. Yes, plus they'd make the NCAA tournament. By winning the ACC tournament, they're in the NCAAs. Absolutely, it's a successful season. If they get in the NCAAs anyway, even though they lost their last two games, and with whatever they do in the ACC tournament, if they don't win the tournament, but they get in the NCAA tournament, then I'll say yes, it's a successful season. Any season that this team that was left for dead, that had done nothing for six years in a row now, had been terrible. If they make the NCAAs, yes, that's a, certainly a successful season. But don't give me this. If this team, let's say, loses their next game, 21-11, and 11, they don't get an NCAA bid, they go to the NIT. Who cares what they do in the NIT? No one ever does. I don't, even this year. Don't. It's not a successful season. I'm sorry. And I'm sorry, but you fire Jeff Gable still. I do. Now, do you lose his good recruiting class? I don't care. Why? Because he's not going to win anything. And sadly, I already feel that way. Why? Because of what he did with Greg Elliott, okay? Now, again, the Sheep fans that are Pitt fans are being told by the media it's a successful uh, season. The Sheep fans themselves believe it's been a good year. The Sheep fans don't think Greg Elliott's any good all of a sudden. Why? Because their terrible coach has benched him. They don't even know he's benched. I listen to podcasts and hear people talk. They're saying, what happened to Elliott? He's no good anymore. He's terrible. He's not playing. You want him to hit threes from the bench? Sitting down? You want someone from the audience to hand him a basketball and him to throw it in? He'd get a technical. Is that what you want? He can't score from the bench. Wake up. Look, the guy, the guy's been so – I have people on Twitter saying he stinks lately. He's terrible lately. He scored 19 points when we beat Syracuse. Remember that game? Just happened a bit ago. Just a week ago. A week ago, we beat, we beat Syracuse. It was a really nice, fun game. Remember it? He scored 19 points. He had five three-pointers in the second half. Yeah, he's, he's so terrible. He's so terrible. So how does he get rewarded? Well, first of all, in the game before the Syracuse game against Georgia Tech, he didn't start the second half. Jeff Capel decided he thinks he's always been trying to go to Sabandi. If you remember, there was a game earlier this year when he wanted to start Sabandi in the second half because he, he, he didn't like Elliott's defense. He always says he's not a very good defender. Um, and Sabani told the coach, no, that's, he's our teammate. He's the starter. I don't need that. I'm good with like, but I got go with him. And, um, and Capel listened to him and started, uh, Elliot in the second half. And Elliot had a really good second half and they interviewed Elliot about it. And Elliot just said, Oh, I wouldn't have mind that he's a great player. He's a very important player for us. Sabani, that would have been fine with me. But it was really nice that Sabandi stood up for Elliott in the face of a dipshit coach who was actually going to shake up their team mojo. And what I think is hysterical about the dumbass fans of this town and the dumbass media that don't understand how significant that moment was and how it's happening here now and they're collapsing and nobody's putting two and two together and understanding what's happening here is, listen, you, you, you dumb fans, listen, you stupid media. All year you've been telling us with Pitt, this Pitt team, this Pitt team, it's all about chemistry. Oh, these guys, they love one another. 
They hang out together even when the, the, the game's over. They go to each other's houses. They stay in the locker room talking after the game for hours. Capel has told us this. They've told us this. They've done all these stories and interviews with Greg Elliott, with Hinson, with all, the, with all of them, and they sound like great guys. Burton's doing a podcast. He seems great. He has his friends on. They laugh. They talk. It, we've been sold all year long that it's all about the chemistry, how these guys trust one another. They believe in one another. How they've made it, you know, the, the fact they were picked 14th in the conference in preseason, they've made that their, their issue. And they put it, what is the phrase they use? We put a charge, put a battery on each other's backs. That's what I think they've been saying. We put a battery on each other's backs. So we've been told this story. And so they play one way with a certain starting lineup and they play almost all the minutes all year long, all year long. I mean, the only major change that Capel made all season was about 10 or 12 games in when Hoogley, Hoogley, when it was determined that Hoogley wasn't going to play. So his, his, his center tandem of Federico and Hoogley was no more. And he was down to Federico. So what did he do? He had been playing through the first 12 games of the year, Jorge Diaz-Graham. And Jorge looked good. And you could tell Jorge was a good shooter. And when he put in Guillermo, which was very limited, you could tell Guillermo wasn't as good a shooter. And you could tell that Jorge, who's uh, an inch shorter and like 15 pounds lighter, was really kind of the better skilled player when it comes to basketball. But halfway through the season or thereabouts or 12 games in or whatever it was, Capel in his genius, for whatever reason, because of one inch and 15 pounds, he had labeled Guillermo the center and he has labeled Jorge a forward. Jorge plays the four, Guillermo the five. That's the decision by Jeff Capel in his never had a really good season ever as a coach previous years anywhere, including in Oklahoma where he kind of bought a team. He had one good year, but other than that, not very good coach. That's his wisdom. That's his decision. <laughs> so what happened was when Hughley was out, he started playing Guillermo. And for some reason, at the very same time when he started to use Guillermo as the backup center for Federico, because he had to now, he stopped playing Jorge. And instead, he inserted, when he would bring in someone off the bench in the fourth spot, he started to insert Santos. Why? We don't know. I mean, Jorge played 18 minutes in the win at Syracuse. Jorge. I'm sorry. Yeah, Jorge. <laughs> it's easy to screw him up. Guillermo, none. Guillermo didn't play at all in that game. Jorge played 18 minutes. So we're way into the season, and Capel decides to stop playing Jorge. And he just doesn't play him. And the reason is he's playing Santos now. And he's playing Guillermo now. So what I think, and I'm just making this up, but I think it's the only one that makes sense. He just decided I don't want to play two freshmen at once. He just decided now that I have to use Guillermo, I have to as a backup center because of Hughley, I'm going to stop playing Jorge because I can't have have those brothers in there together. Uh, There are going to be times when I'm going to rest guys and rotate them, and then that would always be like, there's always going to be a, a Diaz Graham on the floor, and I don't want that, you know. So I, I'm gonna, I'm gonna choose to now start benching Jorge, and playing Santos since I have to use his brother a lot. I think that makes sense. I think it's just a, I don't want them both in there together. I don't want to play two freshmen much this year, because he just stopped playing Jorge. So like last night in the big game in Miami, he played Jorge, because he didn't play Santos, and he played Guillermo. So he played them suddenly. And guess what? Jorge was good. 
Jorge was uh, it was three or four from the field. He hit two threes. Jorge had eight points. Jorge's the better player offensively. Uh, Guillermo didn't look that good last night. But anyway, the point is, I don't know. He changed. Here's the point. That was the biggest change all year. That Guillermo, Guillermo Jorge switch off and putting Santos in. That was it all season. So we go and we have this team that had been 20 and five ever since the, 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 cup, the losses uh, in Brooklyn. We came back from that, that, that tournament in Brooklyn where we lost to Michigan and VCU. Came back one and three. And, and, and after that, we went 20 and five. So that we were 21 and eight. You know, we had gone 20 and five. But in the midst of those last couple wins, those last couple games of going 20 and five, they started to have some defensive lapses. But the point is, the team was the same. And in that, with that respect, Greg Elliott, Greg Elliott, if you go and chart every single thing a basketball player does, and you rank them one, one, two, three, four, he, he, he was coming up second, second best player on the team. You know, if you go and look, you look at scoring and rebounds and field goal percentage, three-point percentage, uh, steals, uh, turnovers, rate them all and add them up and do it for all the players, all of them. It came out that he was the second-best player on the team. Nobody thinks that. Everybody said, oh, he hit some threes. Oh, he hit threes. He was always my favorite player. Why? Because I know he does all kinds of things. He gets a rebound. He'll get a steal. You know, he, he's good with uh, – Assists, he can get a good assist here and there. He, and he can drive in and make a shot. He can drive in and make a shot, and he can hit the three. So he, he was a complete player. You know, he's definitely a three-point sniper. That's his claim to fame. And I think he was the most important player on the team to turn this team around. This team already had Sabandi. This team already had Burton. You know, the, the real big additions were Cummings and especially Hinson and Elliott. The three-point shooting of Henson and Elliott was a huge, huge thing for this team. And if this team was going to be any good and going to make a run in the ACHC and especially in the NCAAs, it was going to be Henson and Elliott that were going to be a big part of that with their three-point shooting. Henson and Elliott were going to be a big part of the reason this pit team stayed exciting and did anything if they were going to do anything. Greg Elliott was going to be a big part of that. Greg Elliott was one of the starting five. Greg Elliott was a big, important part of the 2022-2023 Pittsburgh Panthers. His name was Greg Elliott, and he was good. And when there came a, a, a faltering at one point in the middle of the year, and our head coach, Jeff Capel, wanted to make a shakeup in the, in the starting unit, a shake-up in that team chemistry. The team chemistry he has sold us, the media has sold us, the players have sold us and told us is the most important thing about this team, how they love each other, how they play together, how they trust each other. We have heard other coaches from other teams tell us how tight this team is. That team chemistry. Capel wanted to fuck with it at one point in the year, and he was told no by Sabandi. Don't do it. And he didn't. He listened to his team. He didn't fuck up the team chemistry. But now, down the stretch, with the season on the line, Capel knows best. And he decides, I got to fuck with this team chemistry. Why? Because they started to be shakier at defense overall. And he decided to make Greg Elliott, one of the best players on the team, second best when you rate all the chart and the stats, and my favorite player, he decided to make him the scapegoat. 
So Jeff Capel, a guy who's never coached shit in his entire life and never won shit, is on his way to not winning shit yet again. Why? Because he made a decision on his own with his big fat head to take one of the best players on the team and a big part of their team chemistry and a player who, if he doesn't come through for us, they ain't winning shit. If Greg Elliott doesn't hit threes, they're not going anywhere in the NCAAs. They're not going anywhere, anywhere, period. He decides to bench him. He decides to make him the scapegoat. He decides to say the reason Panthers were struggling on defense because of Greg Elliott. Now, I watched Greg Elliott play out there because I could tell in the Georgia Tech game, he did not start him in the second half in the recent Georgia Tech win. And he started Sabandi and he went full court press. And in the post-game interview, he insisted that Sabandi was huge to them winning that game. Because he allowed him to do that full court press. And to him, he believed in his stupid mind. Because I don't, I like the guy. I like Jeff Cable very much. But I don't believe for a second that's, that full court press was very, you almost didn't notice they were doing it. You know, they stayed on him a little bit and they got to half court and they pulled off. It never, they never once stole a the ball. They never did anything with that full court press. But he believes that it tired them out and it made the difference and it changed the game and it turned the game in his favor. He believes it. He made that decision, brought in Sabandi to do it, benched Elliott the whole fucking second half, and he believes that was the key to why they won that game over a terrible Georgia Tech team. Really? Really? You got to bring in Nike Sabandi and do a full-court press or you're only beating a terrible Georgia Tech team? So anyway, once again, it was showing you that all along, even though Greg Elliott is the heart of this team, even though he's a great guy, even though he's hugely a part of this team chemistry, for whatever reason, Jeff Capel has always wanted to yank his ass out of there. He tried it earlier in the year. He was told no by Savandi. He went and did it in the Georgia Tech game, and he won a game, and he believes that's why he won the game. Now, there's no question their defense was getting slack, but I was watching because I know people are jumping on, you know, Greg Elliott, the first chance they get. They don't think he does anything but shoot threes, and I know, in particular, Gable's looking to yank him all the time, so I was watching him very carefully. He's playing fine defense. He had his lapses, but you know who had even more? Sabandi. You watch Sabandi, he's jumping around. He's always diving at a guy late on a wide-open three. He loses his man more than he finds him. Sabandi moves around a lot. Greg Elliott is laid back. Greg Elliott hits his spot, and then he moves quickly. Greg Elliott will jump and pounce and move on things suddenly. But otherwise, he doesn't move a lot. Now, maybe Capel doesn't like that. Maybe Capel's more impressed by the, the pogo stick style of Sabandi. Sabandi's hopping around, jumping around. But it doesn't mean you're any good. You don't have to be hopping, jumping, skipping, jumping to be a good defender. You don't. You don't have to be doing it on the offensive end to be open for a shot either. You, know, you watch all the best shooters. They, they hit, they go to their spot, they wait, and, they, and the plays move around. When they get their shot, they take it and they make it at least half the time or it's close to that. You know, until this ending spell here, Greg Elliott was shooting 42% from three. Closest to him, Henson at 38, okay? So Bandy, 32, Okay. Right now, because of the last couple of games, Greg Elliott's down to 41%. So, Bandy, 32, okay? 32. So, here's what happened in the last two games. Greg Elliott, I'm being told he stinks. I'm being told he's not any good. I mean, he's joking. He's not playing. Whatever. I'm being, people are saying, what happened to him? He's disappearing. What's going on? It's called he's on the bench, motherfuckers. He played 25 minutes. Now, granted, again, I'm telling you, he was a part of this team. His minutes, he was averaging 31-plus, okay? There was only four players on the team averaging over 30. He was one of them. Cummings, Burton, Henson, him. Those are the four guys. Federico, 
not averaging, you know, 24, 20. And, and, and uh, Sabani was down to like 20, was like 22, 23. So these are four guys. He's one of the, he's a team. He played him 25 minutes against Notre Dame, 25. He played Sabani more. Last night, last night, the game of the year. He plays Greg Elliott 16 minutes, 16 minutes, 16 minutes. 13 in the first half, three in the second half. 16 minutes. So, Bandy, I don't even want to see. I don't want to go. Some 28, something like that. I don't even want to look at it. I don't even want to know. But here's the bottom line. He, he chose Sabandi. He benched. He, he played Sabandi over Elliott. He benched Elliott. The last two games that we lost. That we lost. We lost them. How'd it go? How'd that, how'd that work out for you, Jeff? Oh, you lost them. Oh, you're playing Sabandi a lot in the last few games here down the stretch, and you're benching. Elliot, how's your team doing? Oh, two and three. Got it, two and three. He's trying to use Elliot as a scapegoat. It ain't working. It ain't working. You know, your wonderful coach that you want to keep because this is such a successful year, this, the year's going down the toilet, and whatever he's doing isn't, isn't saving the day. And the only thing I know is one of the key players to our team, a team we need to win, is 0 for 5 the last two games. That's it, five shots. People are saying, oh, Elliot's really struggling. Struggling? He was allowed to take two shots against Notre Dame. He's struggling? He took three shots last night in 16 minutes. He's struggling? What the fuck? He's struggling. You know, so what's amazing is he was allowed to throw up two three-pointers, and he goes 0 for 2. He shoots 42%. Now, now it's down to 41%. He puts in some bandy. The guy goes 1 for 6. You let a 31% or 32% three-point shooter take six shots and gets you one. And your, your sniper from three-point range gets two shots, and you leave him on the bench, and you lose by two. That's brutal. That's brutally bad. You take your big sniper from three, you sit him on the bench, the guy you bring in for him goes one for six from three-point land. And this guy shoots about 10% less than the guy that you got on the bench. And you lose by two. And everyone wants to talk about how Sabani drove the lane and made some hoops there. Guess what? He could have he, he played. He does play. He's played his role all year. He's played many minutes and been successful and driven the lane. He could do all that. With Greg Elliott playing 33 minutes, 34 minutes, 31 minutes. There's no reason why he couldn't have rotated the people without benching Elliott. He was benching Elliott, and people are supporting him, and people think Elliott hasn't been any good. Again, I'll say it to you, 0 for 5 is no good. Henson can miss five shots in the first half and turn around and be the leading scorer. 0 for 5 is no good. If you're a three-point shooter, you're going to have a couple shots miss every once in a while. Last night, he took a couple threes, missed them, and was benched. He's no good? He didn't play the second half. What do you mean he was no good? Maybe he didn't make, like, against Syracuse, he made five three-pointers in the second half. In the second half, he made five three-pointers. I think it was 0 for 4 in the first half. It was 5 of 7 in the second half. 19 points. We was he no good in that game? <laughs> I'm sorry, but people miss three-pointers sometimes. That doesn't mean they're no good. doesn't mean they get benched. 
Bottom line, he's 0 for 5 in the two games that mattered the most. With, with the ability to clinch first place in the ACC on the line, he gets five shots and benched. And this coach ruined the chemistry of the team. And it's not going to be repaired now. It's done. He tried to make a move that he thought was best for the team. People were defending him. I don't know why. People were taking down Elliott. I don't know why. All I know is Savandi scored, what, 19 last night, 16 before, or vice versa. 19 the Notre Dame game, 16 last night. Uh, and they lost. Or maybe it was 13. I don't know. Go look at the scores. He scored a lot and they lost. He's playing Sabandi too much. We're, he's scoring a lot and we're losing. He's not playing Elliott enough. Elliott's not scoring at all because he's not being allowed to take any shots because he's never in the fucking game and we're losing. Do the math. Figure it out. A guy that used to play 32 minutes and you won isn't playing at all and you're losing. Maybe that's the reason you're losing. No, 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 no. It's not Elliott. No, no. Sabandi's great. No. Cable's great. No, it's just a tough luck. Oh, it's just this. Oh, it's just that. Oh, it's... It's Federico, uh, it's, uh, whatever. Look, again, this team had a certain chemistry. This team had a certain set of players, and it's fucked with now, and they're losing now. And I'm sorry if I'm Mr. Obvious to point the finger and go, maybe it's that. Maybe it's the change in the starting lineup that he keeps making. Maybe it's the guy that he keeps benching. Maybe that's the reason why they're not winning anymore. No, that's not it. It's the right move. So Bandy's the greatest person ever. Whatever. It's a shame. It's a shame the fans are this dumb, and it's a shame that this coach is allowed to uh, be thought of as a great season. Uh, I don't think he's done anything special at all. 21 and 10, fifth in, the, in a down year. 21 and 10 in fifth in a conference that everybody nationally says is down this year. That's, that's special. Wow. Talk about low expectations. And, oh, by the way, they're not getting in the NCAAs now probably. They'll probably lose on Wednesday to Florida State. My guess is Florida State will beat Georgia Tech, and then we will lose to Florida State, and we will be in the NITs. According to Joe Lenardi, apparently, we have to win not just the first game, but we'd have to beat Duke in the second game. We're going to get Duke in the second game if we would beat Florida State. We'd have to beat Duke probably to get in the tournament. And even then, they, they might even give us a playing game. Even after beating Duke, they might give us an 11 seed in Dayton. Success. Success. Oh, what a successful year. This team isn't beating Duke. This team is probably not beating Florida State. This team is defeated. This season is over because our head coach ruined the chemistry. The most important thing, the thing he himself told us was important. And then he took a pin and he stuck it in that balloon. And that balloon is bursted, friends. Sorry, but that's the way I see it. Got to call it like I see it. I would fire Jeff Cable. Don't care about his recruiting, recruiting class. Don't care about the progress we're supposedly making. I've seen enough of him as a head coach. Love the guy. I think he's a great guy. I love listening to him. He has a really good heart. I, I believe in him as a person. Got to fire him. Got to move on. Got to try to find a guy that knows how to win and make the right calls for the team for winning. Uh, and I don't care if it's a yeller and screamer that the players hate, like Paul Evans. <laughs> If for a couple of years, whatever, gets us winning again. I want someone who can come in here, whip things up, and get and knows how to coach winning basketball. we got to keep searching until we find someone. They're out there, and this program can win and will win again once Capel's gone. I love you. Yabba-da-boop-bop.